I think you should build a career in data science. Welcome to Build a Career in Data Science. I'm your host, Emily Robinson. And I'm also your host, Jacqueline Olis. This podcast is a data download into all the non-technical knowledge and skills you need to succeed in a data science career. In season one, each episode is about a chapter from our book, also called Build a Career in Data Science, except for a few fun bonus episodes, which includes this one. You can buy the book at bestbook.cool and get 40% off with the code BUILDBOOK40%, but if you don't have it yet, you won't get any less enjoyment out of the podcast. But we're recording this today from Data Science DC, and so it's kind of your patriotic duty to buy the book. <laughs> yes, it's a, <laughs> it's a good book. So today, as I mentioned, we'll be doing a bonus episode. So we're actually uh, towards the end of season one. So we've released episodes for each of the 16 chapters of our book. We've got an epilogue still to go. Um, but our bonus episodes have basically been some topics that, you know, reflecting back, we're like, oh, I wish we talked about this a little bit more in the book or elaborate on it. So today, that topic is managing your manager. And I think this is going to be pretty fun because this is the first time that Jacqueline and I, so we, we usually write up just like a full, few bullet points before each episode. Like we, th- these aren't scripted at all, but just like notes we want to hit. And so I took the first pass at it and then Jacqueline messaged me and she's like, so I think we should talk because I disagree with most of this. So I think this will be a very fun um, episode to, to get some good back and forth between us about our viewpoints. Yeah, and like a DC style way, we have like the debate with like two sides and angles, and we're like, it's very contentious. And uh, yes, which has never happened in the history of our 16 episode podcast. Um, so this will be exciting. Um, so, yeah, so you made some notes, and I said, I disagree with all of them. Should we start going? You want to just start on this, I guess? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. So, yeah. you know, so I think I, I think maybe I came up with this topic because, like, managing your manager. So, I want to talk about, like, to start with, like, why, why is it important? Um, and it's because your manager has a pretty big influence on uh, your career as, and specifically, of course, your, your job at, the, at your current company. Uh, so in previous episodes, Jacqueline and I have talked a lot about the you know, benefits of having a good manager um, and what that can provide. So it can provide uh, sponsorship. You can learn a lot from them, uh, you know, really develop your career. Um, but and also the the downsides of having a bad manager where, you know, sometimes there's this phrase that people say that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers um, and managing your manager is sort of the idea of, OK, how can you, you know, work with this relationship? Right. So the idea is not being necessarily that, OK, um, you know, you don't it's the idea being like you can put some effort into this. There are ways that you can make this relationship um, better and more productive and, you know, happier for you and your manager. And so that's why I wanted to talk about some of these strategies and and ways to approach uh, your relationship with your manager. Yeah. And I reflect on my time as a data scientist and I would say, gosh, I would say like one in three of my data, of my managers have been great. One in three have been, they're fine, whatever. And then one in three have been like, I have to leave this job my manager. So like, this is such chaos for my manager. And so that's like, 33% of the time, I have to like, it's job quittingly bad. Like, it's worth putting a lot of thought into this relationship, because it is just so important to what your job is like. Um, Yeah, and I do think there are ways, there are things you can do to help that relationship. Like it's, it's, it's a it's a two way street, it's, it's two parties working together to do something. And I think, yeah, there are definitely things you can do to try and help. And there are things that are totally out of your control because it's a two-party system, not like a one-person thing. I realize that's a DC pun, a two-party system. This, I, I wonder how many accidental DC references I'm going to make this today. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So I think with Jacko and I had this call, uh, kind of what it came down to, which I don't actually think our philosophies are this rigid, but that I kind of approach it from managing up being like, okay, how can you basically make your manager happy? Um, you know, with the work that you're doing, make them look good, uh, kind of from the, the idea being that like, okay, if one, your manager hopefully is aligned with what the, what the business wants. Also, they should, you know, hopefully are an experienced, uh, you know, a data scientist, if you're in a centralized or, or someone embedded function, or even a business person, if they're not, but they do being like a good manager, hopefully you have a lot to learn from them. And so, you know, if they 
you know, want you to do project management in a certain way, if they have feedback on your presentation, if they guide you one-on-ones, the idea being like, okay, if you can learn to work well with them, keep them updated on stuff, et cetera, like this is good for your own career. So, you know, kind of distilled that down, right? Like your job is to make your manager's job easier and make them happy with your work. And then Jacqueline, do you want to talk about your Meanwhile, yeah, counterpoint. <laughs> it's not your job to manage your manager. Your manager's job is to make you as good as you can be at your job and putting effort into trying to decide what is the thing that makes your manager happy and what does your manager think and all that, that is all a distraction. And that is you taking on the responsibility that your manager should be doing. Um, And I think you are doing a disservice to yourself if you feel like you should be doing all of this stuff and not letting your manager do it for you. and I, I mean, I think there's truth to both our points. I mean, more truth to mine, of course. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I, I, I do want to say, okay, rebuttal time, right? I get a rebuttal. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think, right, what I meant is like, okay, I, I don't think we are actually that hard-lined. I think there is like a happy middle ground here. But I do want to say there's honestly a lot about working in organizations that like, yeah, maybe they're not how things should work or how you'd want them to work, but this is the reality on the ground, like this we have to do. And for example, like organizational politics, I think as you especially get more senior, managing up is a big skill. If, for example, you want to go into being like a senior manager or director, right? Like figuring out what the executive wants, dealing with politics, you could say like, well, that's not, you know, like I, it's, it, you know, it should be a, a this word, but like, it should be a meritocracy, right? I should just be able to do good work. And I think it's the same idea of being like someone getting frustrated because they're like, I'm doing such good work. Like, why isn't this, but I'm not getting promoted. I'm seeing other people promote. Why isn't being recognized? And, you know, getting the feedback, well, your work isn't very visible to people, you know, um, like one way could be increasing your brand within the company externally. And folks could say, well, that's really unfair. Um, and I think the two parts of that are like one, even if it is unfair, if it's true and it's, you know, this is blocking you from your goals. Sometimes you just do that. And the second part being, I don't think necessarily always that kind of stuff is unfair, like being able to work with other people, being able to give your manager like clear updates, being able to manage around sometimes their issues, like is, you know, I, th- I think is a reasonable part of any person's job. Um, yeah. So with that, let's talk about something maybe a little more concrete. Um, so which is, I think, your first bullet here, which I think is a very good thing, is communicating with your manager. And so when I think about this, um, here's how I like, here's how I think about a manager, like, like, ha- like how I rate a manager. It's really like almost exclusively on this one scale, which is if I have a problem, let's say, you know, let's say I can't get something done because the, I keep on getting blocked because the data, the data engineering team, you know, the, the data engineering team is being overly, you know, restrictive on data access or something. If I go to my manager and I say, Hey, I'm really unable to do the task I'm trying to do here because that other team is, you know, restricting my access. If the manager goes to me and they say, oh, okay, so you're, you're, you can't really get this thing done. You know, we need to get done soon. This sounds like a problem. Let me go try and figure out a solution and then we'll come back. And then like a week later, they come or whatever, days later, hours later, they come back and like either, hey, I talked to the team, you have access or, hey, you're never going to get access. That team is, you know, fuck wild. Like, let's find another solution. That is optimal manager, right? That is optimal communication. I raised a problem or sometimes opportunity, whatever. I raised something. They thought about it. They acted on it. They came back to me with results. That is optimal. Like one in three managers hit that, right? Like so often I've had it where I'm like, hey, I have this problem with the other team not giving me access. access. Like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Have you thought about something tangentially related? Not really at all. And like the point just blocked off, right? Or like, like there's so many ways that that idea of like, I bring a thing to a manager, the manager helps me then do my job by resolving that thing in some way. That it's like, that's hard. And it's like, it's a communication thing because it's about can I effectively communicate an idea to the manager, the manager acts on it in some way and then communicates back to me. Um, And I think that like part of that is, you know, managing up. Like I think part of it is how can I like help my manager like know the things I need to help me do my job. Like, but also some of that is the manager has to be willing to listen and actually has to give me enough time and make me important. So they'll go do that thing instead of playing politics at the VP level or whatever, you know, like that's kind of the, um, that's what I think about like manager communication. Yeah. No, and I think that's, 
that's exactly where we're talking about this middle ground, right? Is that you need a good manager who listens, but you need to be able to communicate that. Um, so one post that I really like is Julia Evans' uh, post called Things Your Manager Might Not Know. And she talks about like things you can do is that they may not know what's slowing the team down. You can talk to them about what's hard about your job. Because the other thing they can do besides unblocking you is they can help you prioritize. So for example, they can say, all right, you know, take the time you need to figure this out. This is really important. They could say, um, you know, here, you know, this teammate uh, can help you out with this. Or they could say, oh, actually, like this was really, we thought this would be a quick fix. Like, let's focus our energy somewhere else, right? So part of your manager's job is to have this high level view of like team priorities. Um, and so it's not just necessarily that they always unblock you. It's good to flag it for them um, because they can help you figure out, okay, what, how should you approach it? And then also, I think something that took me a while to learn was that, because there's another phrase that I don't really like, which is like, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. So I had this idea, right? Like, oh, I can't go to my manager with a problem if I don't have a solution for it. Um, but then actually from talking to people, including Jacqueline, you know, one thing I learned was sometimes it can be valuable to flag, even if like, let's say you're working on a project and you really don't like, you know, getting really burnt out on it, but you know, no one else on the team has capacity to take it on at the moment. Um, so you might say, okay, so there's no point in telling my manager I'm getting burnt out. Um, you know, I want to work on something else because they can't do anything. Uh, but you know what I've actually learned? Well, it's good to flag that because one, maybe they can't do anything right now, but they can start doing it. Something in the future, they can start getting the pieces in place. Um, and two, it's just good for them to have like an honest like pulse check on how you're doing. And maybe they can think of stuff that you haven't thought of. Like maybe they can think of, oh, actually we can hire an intern to take on some of these things, right? They might be able to see solutions that you can't because you don't have the, the power to do certain actions, um, but they do. And so that's why I think it's this communication with your manager is really like one of the most important parts of the relationship. Yeah, and there's kind of, to your point there of like, what do you bring problems or solutions or all that? There's kind of like a, um, there's like a, um, a decision you kind of always have to be like making in your head. I've, I personally felt, which is like, if I have a problem, if, if could I solve this on my own? Like, is it better or should I take it to the manager? Right? Like something like, what color should the UI be? It's like, well, I could probably just pick the UI color myself. But also, if I pick it myself, and then people are like, ah, oh, if I had, if you had let me know about this decision before you made it, I would have told you to do something different and other ramifications. Like, well, maybe I would have been better going to my manager, and being like, which color do you think? Right? But if I went to with every decision to my manager, being like, what color should the background be? Should the buttons be a different color than the background? And like, I guess none of those are data science examples. But <laughs> should, should, should should I have four or five features in the model? Right? Like at some point, it's like it's kind of your job to make these calls, right? Like. Like you, ideally, like that's what a data science, like even as an IC, you should still be making decisions, you know, at different levels of seniority, you make more of those, but like, you should always kind of be striving to, to not burden your manager with decisions that you could in theory make yourself. Um, but there are times, like, as you're saying, Emily, there are times where you don't have a solution. You just have a problem. You are just stuck. And then like, yeah, your manager should absolutely help you with that. Yeah. So one last thing on this topic, um, the communication topic I want to talk about is, you know, you sort of brought up an example of like another team data engineering being a problem, right? Or some of the ones I said, right, was this like, you know, this feature is more complicated than I thought. But, you know, how do you do it when you need something from them that they're not giving you, right? Like basically get like if they're not giving you enough feedback, how do you give them that feedback? Like, how do you get more of what you need from them? Is that question for me or like a yes. aspect? I... I'm a very direct person. I don't know. It's that New England upbringing or whatever that like, or like male socialized upbringing. I don't know. But I really am. I do not find it as a problem of like, hey, manager, I really need, you know, I don't feel like I'm getting feedback from you on how my work is doing. And I'm struggling to know if this is, you know, what you want. It would be helpful for me if you could let me know more often, right? Like something like that, where it's really just like, it's not like an attack. It's not like you did a bad job. It's, hey, I am not having a thing I need to do my job. And I just say it. Um, and I don't know why that's easy for me and not for other people. But like, I just say it. And and I, well, no, I take this back. I a little bit know why it's a struggle for other people. Because I think it's very easy to worry that if you say the wrong thing, they're not going to like you and you're not going to get the promotion and all that. But like, at the end of the day, you have to trust the other person that they're not so sensitive that any suggestion that they're not doing an optimal job means they won't, you know, they will they will have repercussions. Like, you you have to trust that that's not quite the case. Or if, it, if you don't trust them to that point, you need a different manager. That is not yeah. good. And I think this you could view this as like a good chance to practice giving feedback if you're not very comfortable. Because again, this should be hopefully like 
you know, one of the closest uh, relationships you have at work. And so uh, if you're not very practiced at it, one thing I like is Lara Hogan uh, shares the feedback equation. So if you Google Lara Hogan, so L-A-R-A, you'll find it, um, where basically you, you, you do an observation, it's impact on you and a question and request. So the example she gives is saying uh, to someone who gives really terse emails that seem like they're like really mad at me all the time. Um, so you could say, Mark, I've noticed your emails usually include three to five words in the body. I have a hard time understanding what you mean. In those emails, I often need to reply to the email to get more clarification which adds a time to the process. Could you help me understand why you write succinct emails or could you include a bit more context in your emails? So the idea of like phrasing it that way, rather than being like, you're like, as you were saying, Jacqueline, right? You don't need to attack them. You don't need to be like, you're a bad manager. Or like, why are you so mad at me all the time? Right? Like making lots of assumptions of why they're doing it. Instead explain like, here's this fact we can observe. So like, Hey, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, uh, really the only time, um, that, you know, I, I love getting feedback from you during our quarterly performance reviews, um, but we don't really do it uh, much other time. This makes it harder for me to to grow because often that feedback is, you know, might be months after, um, you know, the, the observed behavior. Um, would we be able to start doing, you know, feedback sessions, short feedback sessions twice a week or not twice a week, uh, once every two weeks or something like that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. This sounds like this advice, I think, actually sounds like it's straight out of either like negotiating discussions or like, you know, business conversations or like relationship advice books, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't attack yeah, the person. Come with like what advice, you need. Exactly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, which is good. And then I'm going to say something and then I'm going to say it's not true at all, which is, I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, I've been a manager. I, I guess I'm right now a manager and stuff. Uh, you get feedback all the time from everywhere as a manager, right? You get it from your boss. You get it from the managers around you. You get it from your employees. The idea that like, oh, the manager's heart's broken because you gave them a piece of feedback, you data scientist or whatever, like, like, like they should be able to take that. And then that's not true at all because I've seen lots of managers who couldn't take that, like who really had struggles with these things. But that's not like, that's not your responsibility in a sense, like make the manager learn to grow up. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's similar to when I, you know, we have a, a chapter eight or episode eight, we talk about uh, negotiating an offer, right? And we advise most of the time you should negotiate. And sometimes, you know, people might be like, well, what if they, they rescind the offer? And kind of my point of view on that, if you do it like in a reasonable and like polite way and they rescind the offer, that's a huge flat red flag. And so you dodge bullet. I think the same thing, if your manager can't take like a well-structured piece of feedback, it's good to know that because you should probably start looking for a different job. Like there are lots of other issues going on there and, and, you know, you shouldn't hamper your own growth because you're afraid that you have a dysfunctional manager. Yeah. Especially at the junior levels. Cause the senior level, you can kind of have a dysfunctional manager and be like, I'm just not going to listen to you and do my own thing. And you can get away with that a little more, but like at the junior level, you really don't have that luxury. So, yeah. So let's talk about, like, I want to talk about that, about the differences when you're a junior versus senior IC. Cause I think that's some of where our disagreement came from. Uh, so what I mean is, I think um, when you get more senior, right, Jack was talking you making these decisions, I think managing up becomes a much more important skill. Uh, and so there's a couple reasons for that. So one is that like just the career paths are a lot well defined. Uh, so when you're, you know, pretty junior, usually there's like, you know, a, often if you're on like a medium sized team, there's some other juniors around, there are people who were in your position a few years ago. And so there's like a pretty clear expectation. Um, you know, juniors might have their specialties, but you know, everyone's kind of trying to get that same foundation, same experience. Um, but when you get more senior, you know, you get people who have wildly different experiences and desires and, and there's not necessarily like a really clear, okay, this is exactly, you know, what you need to do to be impactful here. And so I think that's why working with your manager to figure out, okay, um, you know, if I want to be principal, like, you know, should I be taking on projects with higher visibility? Should I be, you know, mentoring uh, my teammates? Should I be really focused on, um, you know, delivering uh, machine learning models into production? Like really working with them to figure out, okay, this goal I have, how do I actualize it in this organization I'm in? How do I work with my manager um, to reach that? Because you are expected to be sort of in the driver's seat here because you, Jacqueline is making such a face, but I'm going to keep going. Keep, keep uh, trying, yeah. You, no, as, as I, like you're expected to take more initiative, right? There'll be multiple paths to grow. So some, you know, you may be someone who wants to go really deep in one domain. Another person may want to, you know, tackle something that they, they have specialized before, but now they're, let's say they specialize in analytics. So like, I really want to do more machine learning. 
Uh, so there, there shouldn't be really one path for people here because then people would be miserable. So I think that's why like managing up kind of becomes important because it's not, you, you no longer fit neatly into this, this little box that okay. is with, yeah. Okay. I disagree. Like a hundred percent, like a hundred percent, which is to say, I think part of it comes from the definition of managing up. Cause when I hear managing up, I hear making your manager happy and managing that relationship with your manager. The more senior I have gotten, the less the manager matters for me, right? Because by the time I've been a principal, it's like my manager isn't my boss. Like we're peers. It's my manager's job to kind of set overall strategy, but it's my job to figure out the tech stuff. And like, I shouldn't be going to the manager and be like, well, what do you think I should do to get a principal? Or I guess, I, you know, like, what do you think I'm getting senior principal? Like, it's my job to be doing the things that I think are best for the business. And people are either going to agree or disagree, but it's my job to focus on that not necessarily what the manager thinks about how I present in a meeting or things like that. Like, like my manager isn't the person I need to make happy. What I need to make happy is the business. And my manager, you know, my manager can like say, hey, I don't, what you're doing isn't aligning with our strategic goals and like things like that. We can have those conversations, but we are peers, right? I think that is absolutely true at the principal level. I think even at levels lower than that, that is the like that is a healthy way to view the relationship of a manager. Like a manager is a peer. The manager's job is to make sure you have the resources you need to get what you need done. And it's your job to do the best thing you are assigned to. But it's not my if you're like a senior, it's not your job to like really folk work with the manager and sit down together and decide what your career path is going to be. Like your your manager has no idea what your career path should be. You have to know that by the time you get to senior for the point you made, which is there's so many different paths. So I don't think like that the time that the manager relationship and like managing that and like coming up with collide goals, like the stuff that matters is when you're a junior, because you have so much less visibility into the org as a junior person. And your manager has much more of a visibility, they have much more of understanding, they know what it means to get from senior one to senior, you know, data scientist level one to data scientist level two, like that's when the relationship stuff matters. By the time you hit, you know, senior principal, then it becomes it's really like, learning how to like fly on your own wings. Um, so so I'm, yeah, I'm willing to mostly agree with you on the principal thing. I very much disagree on the senior thing. Um, so one book that we've referenced a couple of times, uh, staff engineer, and this is actually again, where, you know, Jack and I realized part of it's disagreeing is how things happen at smaller organizations versus larger organizations, right? So at smaller orgs, usually there aren't there, you know, it might, you might know everyone if you're at like a small startup, right? Uh, there probably maybe aren't any actual career levels for a large, large organization. There's usually like very, like on say at Google, very well-developed technical paths. And so if you want to become a staff, your manager, um, not necessarily at Google, at some other companies, your manager will be in that room often with your skip level manager. Like, and they need, you are not invited into the room where your promotion is coming up. And so if you don't, if you don't talk with your manager about, Hey, I want to get promoted. If you don't Give them that visibility. Like if you're doing what's best for the business and you like never tell your manager because you're like, whatever, I'm just doing what's best for the business. Like, you know, F them, they're my peer. Like that's that's a giant recipe for failure, I think. So I can agree, I think, on the principal level, but I do think, look, I think it depends what you want, right? If you want, if you are someone who feels like I have a really clear vision for what I want, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be at this organization. So I'm really going to focus on kind of what I think I can make the most impact on here and also what I want to develop in the long term. I think maybe don't worry about it that much. If you're like, actually, I really want to, for whatever reason, like get promoted to staff here, I think it is critical that you work with your manager because they are either the ones making the decision or they are the strongest influences on that decision. Okay, but this breaks my heart, the idea that there are people whose like life goals is to get to level seven at a company. Like, that's like, I don't know, like... Like who? I like I mean, it's nice to have a title. You it's nice about to have your influence. goal was like to get director. Yeah, the and then episode. I got it, and it was the worst, and I didn't want it. Like, like yeah, it like I guess it's just to say that like the people I've seen who've really like just rocketed through their careers and like really done things. It's they've like gone out, they made mistakes, they grow, and like they've done all this, and like there's a world where you're like, and I'm gonna work with my manager, and I'm gonna decide what are the three things to get the staff, and I'm gonna get the staff, and but like this like focus on titles and hierarchy and all that to me is makes for less good data science and makes for less fast career growth than. I'm going to try and do the things that are best for the business and most interesting. And, you know, I'm obviously going to keep my manager in the loop and things like that, but they're not the the purpose. Like, I think that is a better way. A, and maybe not better. A, a, you will get happier. You will do more things in the org and you will like, you will actually grow faster if you kind of focus less on what are the like, 
Like, what are the things I need to get the A in the class? And more on the, I'm just going to do good data science work and, you know, tell people about it, not just do in a quarter, but like, I'm going to do good work and I'm just going to focus on that and making the business better. Yes. And I think you should be willing, even when you're more senior, to listen to your manager's feedback on that, because I do think you can have a fair amount of context when you're more senior, less so when you're junior. But I think your manager isn't, I mean, hopefully you're not in like every meeting they're in or you'd have a terrible schedule, right? So like, hopefully they, you know, they might be, I think it's worth, even if not, you're not going to be like, oh, my job's made them happy. So I'll just do whatever they say. I think it is worth still, even when you're seeing like listening to them, incorporating it, like making your own decision. Um, but being willing also to, again, like kind of still take feedback, still take some change of plans and just get input. I, I feel like actually this is the exact same of me tweeting out, hey, everyone, what's your favorite career resource for Daniel uh, <laughs> and Jackson? Was like, is this a, a joke? Because Jackson's like, you wrote a book. And I'm like, I'm willing to believe other people have things to say. Yeah, which is, I mean, there is truth in that your manager, it's hard to make be self-aware, right? It's hard to, when you give a presentation, have an external viewpoint and like see how other people see it. And like your manager is a very good resource on, I want an external opinion, but they are not, you know, they are not the one opinion, they can be wrong all the time. And yeah, sometimes you just need, need to be like, it's very powerful to be confident. And this came in our pre-call where we realized we super disagreed of just like, I'm like, if my boss tells me we need to do thing A, and I think, no, we need to do thing B, I will never just do thing A. I will like fight tooth and nail to do thing B. Eventually, maybe my boss will convince me of thing A and I will change my mind. But if I believe my boss is wrong, I will like really fight hard on that. Um, I would, and and that is just a very different viewpoint than the the manager has the best view and the blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, just... we've gone on way long. <laughs> Do we want to take a break? Yes. Okay. Let's take a break. <laughs> Boxes are for keeping things neat and organized, including data. Box plots are a family tradition for showing distributions of data originating from uh, Mary Spear and John Tukey in the mid-century period. These are more simple and distinguished than their counterparts like overlapping histograms. So when you're looking for something elegant for your data, use box plots. Okay, let's talk about toxic managers. Yes. Let's talk about them. Yeah. All right, so you've had like a 30 <laughs> 30%. Yeah. That's, that's that's rough. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I man, uh, <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> the trauma is making me unable to speak. Um anyway, no, I've dealt with a few toxic bosses. And usually it's kind of like the things I was saying in the earlier parts where like if you say something to them, if you can't give them that feedback, they like refuse to hear it or they take it out on you or things like that. That's like it's just very unhealthy relationship because your boss does have more power than you. So it's very easy for that to become, uh, and you know, and those are situations where they become like, you know, toxic, abusive, if just the person with more power uses it uh, in an unfair way. Um, And they're just very challenging situations that I've been in. Yeah, I do think so-and-so, Jacqueline has a PhD. I was in a PhD program and scooted out with my master's. But one thing I've said that I do like about industry versus academia is uh, it's your manager does have a lot less power over you than your advisor in grad school. And sort of for two reasons. Um, one is like, you know, like Jack was saying, especially at the senior levels, you can kind of like sometimes like go, you know, go against your manager, kind of do your own thing. Um, it, could still, it could still work out. Um, but the other thing being it's, you know, if you it's much easier to leave a job and thus leave your manager in industry than it is in academia to switch PhD programs. So I think... You know, this is one reason where if you end up having a really bad or toxic manager, um, I advise people to have, uh, we talked about this in chapter 15, of like having um, an emergency fund or other people call it an FU fund, uh, which is that if you're in a position where you're like, this is really damaging my mental health, like I'm not, I'm both like, I, I you know, feel terrible my job, it's affecting me outside, like I've talked to people who like cried every day before they went into work, is just... Um, you know, trying to put yourself in a position where you are able to leave that. And the good thing about, um, you know, the data science job market, a little less so for people with their first job, but uh, more so with your, um, after you have even just a couple years experience is 
you know, usually you'll be able to find something else. I've also heard that, at least for engineers right now, apparently the tech job market is just like going, um, going bonkers. So I don't know. I, I think, I think we should talk about how to mitigate some of the things, but I also just do want to remind that you, you know, do have the, the, the power to, um, it can be a privilege to leave, but to try to give yourself that privilege, um, so that you have the power to change that situation. Yeah, I, I think I struggled when I've had toxic bosses because I generally have had a situation where there is like a multi-month period where it's like, maybe I can manage this. Maybe I can work through this. It's like, yeah, this kind of idea of like, maybe I can manage up. Maybe I can make up for the deficiencies of my manager. But like, that hasn't historically ended well for me. Like I had a job where basically I had to be a principal data scientist and also to the director of data science because my boss was being toxic and not really doing his job. And... I didn't have the title director of data science, my boss did. And so not only was I having to do that work, I wasn't getting the risk, like I didn't have the influence because I wasn't actually that person. And sometimes he would just arbitrarily disagree with me. And so I couldn't even do the job well. And like, that was unsustainable. And that was, you know, that's a higher level, but like that happens at low, like that happens with like, you can be a data scientist one and also suddenly your boss is making you do their job for you. You know, like there's so many ways like bad situations can come up. And I think this idea of like, ah, by if you are sufficiently clever, you can work around mm. that is just largely not true, um, which is not to say like the moment your boss turns toxic, the moment you realize your boss is toxic, you got to leave right that second. But it's like it's like abdicating responsibility for that, right? Like realizing like if that person's in their 40s and they're that level of abusive or whatever, like you're not going to like you junior data scientist is not going to be able to suddenly teach them like the meaning of Christmas. And now they're a good boss, like like, you know, and it's just it's a it's a certain amount of just learning not to learning to accept things are outside of your control and not beat yourself up because that situation exists. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's why I think, right, like managing up the kind of benefits are with like a good faith relationship, right, with someone who's competent, with someone who does like want to do what's best for you, right? Sometimes it's just kind of helping them do that. But yeah, there are other situations where it's like, no, this like, you're not going to teach this person the the meaning of Christmas. Um, Yeah, I mean, you can look, I mentioned, I I haven't done this, Jacqueline, I know it's some larger orgs, again, uh, sometimes people can end up switching uh, teams. And so then you get a different manager. But I think that is not necessarily, again, because large orgs like more bureaucracy is not usually like, oh, you just like put in a request one day and you're like transferred and you might have to interview with that team. Also probably makes things a little awkward with your old manager and your old team. Um, so, but that is one thing that that you can consider if you are not on like the, if, if you don't have the only data science or data analytics manager in the org. Yeah. So I think some ways to... Um to deal with a to- or ways to notice if your manager is toxic. I'd say signs to notice that you're in one of these problematic situations. One is you do not feel like you can get a message across, right? You are unable to say, hey, I'm struggling with this thing in my job and have them like have it click with them of like, oh, this person's struggling with a job. Either they'll say, yeah, yeah, I hear you're struggling and then like just never do anything about it. Or like just the conversation, they never even give you that acknowledgement of like, oh, I hear you are struggling with that thing. Um, another is if you feel like your boss is putting you in situations you feel uncomfortable, right? If you signed up for a 40-hour job and you're doing a 60-hour job, right? Like, okay, maybe for like one week, that's okay. But like, if you just feel like that's, like these situations that like are happening and you do not feel comfortable, like you don't feel like you should, that is a sign of a toxic boss. And also I would say um, if your boss, if you like yourself less from interacting with your manager, that is a sign that things are wrong. Because like really, like, again, have having been a manager, it's my job as a manager to make my employees as good as their jobs that they can be. And if you have a manager who is like, actually, I'm going to take you down a lot because I don't think you're good enough for me. Like, that's not helping you be better at your job. That's making you worse at your job. Um, And so if you, if through interacting with your manager, you don't feel better about your life, you feel worse. Like, you, that's probably toxic. And I feel like you notice if you have a good manager, right? Like, you'll be like, oh, I have this problem. I'm going to go talk to them. And like, I do this all the time where I'm like, oh, I have problem XYZ. And I talk to my manager like, yeah, yeah, okay, problem XYZ. And they're like, oh, but have you tried doing this? And I'm like, oh yeah, I could just do that and my problem solved. And then it's like, that's great. I love that. And like, when I have that kind of relationship with my manager, that's great. 
But toxic is like the reverse, right? Like, I'm problem X, I, Z. And they're like, yeah, that's because you're bad. Like, you know, like, or like maybe if you had done this, like, this isn't, it's not good. Yeah. Right. Like, your so. manager should care about you also as a person. Like, I think, like, it doesn't mean that they need to, especially some people don't want to share much about their personal lives, right? It doesn't mean that they are, like, your best friend. Um, but they should, like, care about you as a human and not just kind of view you as, like, someone who is just there to, like, make them look good and, like, output data science work yeah they should be sad if you're sad yeah, <laughs> like right. they should notice that um, yeah. i do want to so this is circling back a little bit but i think again like think in the middle of the road of like part of how i think is managing up is like helping your manager help you so julia evans who i referenced before who had that great post things your manager may not know she also has a sign she does a lot of signs are great uh, called um, Help, I Have a Manager. And one of the pages talks about asking for feedback. And so she says she used to ask for feedback, say, literally, do you have any feedback for me? And the person and the manager would be like, uh, not right now, because they didn't know what she was actually interested in, what area. So she learned that to ask more specific questions, like, what do you think of this design? Did I prioritize these things well? Right. And so this is not a bad manager for not you know, maybe some managers look would, you know, ideally your manager would come back as like, hey, you know, what are you interested in feedback on? But I think an okay manager might not think to ask that. And so like managing up is here is like trying to help them help you, right? And also, um, you know, help them by like taking a little bit of time thinking of like, okay, what do I want feedback on? So I don't think just because your manager is not always giving you what you needed, it's necessarily that they're a bad manager, right? This is kind of a a two-way relationship, Um, especially if you're junior, they should help you with some of that stuff, right? Like help you and saying like, Hey, you know, um, I need more visibility into the project. So I give you other feedback, but also I think of managing up as taking some, you know, responsibility also for your own career development. Yeah. And I, I really like the point of like telling them what you need is like critical. Like it's so important. Um, because mind readers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially feedback, like feedback is something where you actually have to be very strategic about how you deploy it. Cause you don't want to just cripple someone with a whole bunch of feedback they can't handle in any moment. And, but, but just, Hey, I would like feedback is so generic. Like, how would you know? Like what, like, like, what does that actually mean? You know, like that could be a trick question kind of a thing. Like that could really mean, I actually just want you to say a nice thing. And I don't know how to ask that way, you know? Um, so yes. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I really do think it's your manager's job to make you good at your job. So helping your manager know what you're feeling not good about is fantastic. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we get to questions? No, I don't think so. It looks like we got a lot of questions. So thank you. Shall we take right. a, yeah, well, we'll take yeah, a let's take break. a quick break. Okay, so with that, we are now going to do some Data Science DC uh, Q&A live. Um, this is very exciting. We've never done this before. So Awesome. Chris, you had a question. Would you like to ask that? Uh, yes. Um, actually, so how do you manage the expectations of your manager on, you know, on your team? That's a communication. Communication, yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> So like sometimes you're on, um, I say like a data science project and it may seem like he's asking for, he may seem like he's asking for too much, but then you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can or I cannot do that, but how, how do you manage their expectations? Like, you know, about how they want the project done. So, uh, sorry. Yeah. So what I like to do in those situations is kind of what Emily said, but to expand it, which is I really like to be super upfront with these sorts of things of like, if my manager is like, has some expectation that is unrealistic, I want a deep learning model on a distributed cluster in an hour or whatever, you know, like, like, um, you know, I might be like, well, that seems like a lot of work for reasons. Like, I don't know if we'll be able to meet that for X, Y, and Z. You know, Emily's ideally, like, you know, scenario of, like, you bring a solution is, like, I would like to bring, like, I don't think we could do that. In an hour, I could get you a linear regression on a local laptop, you know, or I could get you kind of these if you gave me an extra week. Like, you know, just kind of, like, explain it. But I do think it's one of these things where you are a thousand times better to have that conversation before the work starts than after the work has started. And then it's like, oh, no, it turns out what they are expecting to happen, have happened, did not happen. 
And I think with the, so we have a chapter and an episode on data science failures. And so one thing we talk about is the importance of, or like that upfront communication, really agreeing on the goal, setting these expectations by, as Jacqueline said, like just being upfront, being upfront where like the risks are, we're like, oh, we've never set up a distributed thing, right? This will need to get permissions from the security team. And, you know, this could take anywhere from a day to a couple weeks. Um, And then, but communicating while it goes, right? Like kind of set some like some timelines and, and, you know, keep checking with them because what you don't want, and this is more likely with business partners and managers, right? But you don't want like a couple months to go by and they think you've built this like awesome deep learning model. And actually it's just been a tire fire the whole time and you have like nothing to show for them, right? It's much better to communicating that as I go. You're like, hey, it's still possible this would work, but like we run into roadblocks X, Y, Z. And you know, that these are the risks that are still outstanding. Great. Thank you, Chris. Will, you had a question too? Yeah. How do you work with a manager who wants project planning and firm estimates for data science projects that have a large amount of uncertainty or dependencies that are way outside of your control? I break their little hearts as quickly as I can. You know, like, you gotta, <laughs> like, like that's, that is bonkers. You will never get that, right? Um, like, literally, data science is the art of, deci- like, discovering things that may, like, may or may not exist. Um and so I just like really try and be transparent with just, we have no idea. You know, if they're like, okay, we, I'm like, let, let me simulate it. If I'm like, you know, we don't know how long it'll take. I think two weeks in, I can tell you if it might work, but we have no idea how long the full thing will take. And then if the, the other person's like, oh, so you're saying it'll take like eight weeks. And I'm, I will say something like, well, we can try that. But it very well may come to the fact that eight weeks in, we still have another eight months and we won't know yet until farther. And they'll be like, I'm going to pencil it in eight weeks. And then when eight weeks comes, I'll be like, sorry, look at the emails. I said it could be who knows. You know, like I really just I I don't I can't work around the truth. And so I just have to accept that I'm going to break their heart. You know, I I do think like one thing you can do is really talk about, okay, what is the appetite for this project? So for example, like when I've worked on a project that was for, okay, can we do this like machine learning image detection thing, right? And like, we had no idea. So rather than be like, well, we'll just keep working on it forever until, you know, and then we spent eight months on it. We'll be like, okay, our appetite right now is like, let's try this out for a month, say, right? And like kind of see what it can do out of the box with a little tuning. And then if it doesn't look promising, then we'll abandon it. I think that kind of helps from it becoming like this huge time sink. Because uh, even though you can't estimate up front, you can at least say like, okay, right now, this is how interested we are in the project, right? Um, not necessarily this is the amount of work we'll take to do it, but this is how much work we, th- we think for right now we want to dedicate it to it and then kind of check in there and again, set these expectations, right? That that may result in like, well, that was a month of prototyping this thing and this thing just doesn't work at all. And maybe it will if we do five more months on it, but you can decide like that's, you know, that doesn't make sense given the other priorities. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Uh, I got a question here from Charles. His audio isn't 100% working, so I'll read it. Um, but he wants to know about uh, if you're one of the first data scientists in the organization, one of the first data roles, are there some unique challenges then for managing your manager? Right. And then it's often not like even managing your manager, right? It's like managing the org. So I'm just, re- there's like a little more of like, if you're a small company, you don't have a fully mature data pipeline, how do you dispel the myths, set expectations and get results? So here's my recommendation on this, which is um, having done this several times. What I have found is I've have to do like a like publicity tour of the concept of data scientist to everyone at the director level and up, which is to say, or even just like across the whole company if I have that uh, opportunity. But it's really like a I come up with a presentation of like if I'm a consulting firm for retail companies of like what does data science look like for when you're consulting with retail companies? I will come up with like look you can predict churn you can blah, blah. I'll like come up with a presentation about all this. I will go to each director individually or person up individually, give them the speech, be like what questions do you have? And they each will have different questions and questions they probably wouldn't ask you if they were in front of everyone else. But you do that. You do that. I did that. Like I would do that right when I would start at a company. And then I would do that again three months later because three months in, I would have a much better understanding of like, okay, what is the company actually going to do with data science or six months, whatever, some number of months in. Now that I know what the company's actually going to kind of do with data science, I need to go through and do that all again. Um, because there's just not only like, what is the linear regression kind of data science? But like, yeah, how likely is it if we get customer data, will we be able to get value out of predicting the churn? Something like that. Like these are really nuanced things and it takes a lot of time before it actually starts to sink in. So it's just like perpetual education as part of your job. Um, And this, 
you have to do this if you're the first data scientist at a company, but you also have to do this if you are a data scientist in a large org and you're the only data scientist on the team and things like that. Like there's lots of scenarios where your job as a data scientist becomes just introduction to data science. And I do think it's good here, right? So you sort of mentioned like these data pipelines aren't fully mature, right? So things either because they don't know what data science can do or they think things are in a better state than they are. They expect, you know, things to be smoother, things to be faster. I do think it's worth thinking about, okay, what are some quick wins I could do rather than being like, all right, like I got to set up a fully functioning, you know, beautiful state of the art data thing. And like, no one will see anything from it a year, right? But like, that's what I got to do. I think it's important, you know, when you're doing this presentation to find at least a few quick wins, right? Okay. Like, okay, can I just get this dashboard up and running with like our shiny? And I won't worry about like, what will be our dashboard tool for the next five years is because I do think because data science is new to people, you do want to I don't think you need to worry about this in like the first week, but I do think it's good to start showing value and being like, oh, this is why, you know, they, they hired, this is why we hired them is because like, look, they like, you know, made this pretty graph. They found this issue with, you know, you know, our customer retention or whatever. Um, you know, and you can set that kind of, uh, that kind of, um, you know, ground with some like more, maybe more basic analytics and models before being like, I got to spend six months doing a huge deep learning model. Great. Thank you, Charles. And thank you, Jacqueline and Emma. Um, I'm just curious about uh, remote work versus in-person. Are there any unique challenges with managing your manager when you're in this remote situation that we've been in for a while? I will say this from the viewpoint as a manager, having managed remotely. The struggle I have is that it's, it's easy, I think, for people who are working for me to kind of do stuff and not keep me in the loop as much. Because I think just remotely, it's very easy to like, you know, I, I might walk by someone in the office be like, oh, hey, how's it going? They can update me there. But we may like only have a once a week, you know, one-on-one in remote. And so it's easy to run into scenarios where you do some work and then your manager will look at it and be like, oh, actually, if I had talked to you earlier, I would have said, don't do this for a reason X, Y, Z, you don't know yet. Like, because you weren't in that meeting because it was with another team. And so I just recommend increasing the frequency of communicating with your manager because, yeah, I, I mean, I we, we had a big argument about... um managing up but your manager has a lot of context you don't in your org and if you aren't constantly trying to get the latest notes on that that is a real hindrance to you yeah i also think um you know hopefully with the vaccines rolling out at least in the u.s pretty well um so my manager uh was remote pre-covid um and one thing she did when i started so this was december 2019 was she came to the office for a week um and i thought like this was kind of helpful for me so we like went to lunch we had like our first one-on-one it was also a good time for her to catch up with other people so i do think one challenge can be developing that relationship if you've never met in person um like i said i think this won't be as true even some like companies that are going full remote i still think plan occasionally to have people together for an offsite or like back in the office or whatever so I do think if that's possible, it's nice. And if it is fully remote, like I usually spend, like we spend in our team meetings, usually the first 15 minutes catching up and like same thing in my one-on-ones. I think it is kind of nice to like, but like for, you know, like I said before, right? It doesn't mean like you have to share your whole life story, but to have a little bit of that personal connection that can be harder to establish when you're remote. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, more questions. Anybody have another question for Jacqueline or Emily? We are probably approaching, we probably have time for one more, so given the episode length. Someone uh, someone asked, any recommendations on how to communicate status? So right, we've been talking about like, communicate to your manager, communicate status of the projects. And accomplishments. Oh, What's your good accomplishments, one? I have a good one. Julia Evans again, write a brag document. Excellent piece, it talks about uh, basically the idea um, Again, it's like your manager is not a Rhyme meter. Um, they're not going to know everything that you're you're doing because they, they can't. They have to worry about other stuff. Uh, so brag document is basically noting your accomplishments. And these can be, these are also helpful, honestly, for you. Like I personally forget, like, especially with smaller things, things like helping a teammate debug something or teaching them this concept. Like I might forget that in a few months. So a brag document and our blog post talks about the things you can put in there, right, is basically a way for you to, you know, keep some records of, of wins that you had. It could be things that you learned. It could be teammates that you helped. It could be that projects that you shipped. Um, and so I think that's kind of a night. And you could, you know, rather than like spring out your manager, you can talk with them as like, hey, you know, I wanted to like make this centralized place. It's also honestly good, you know, like when if you start looking for another job, right, again, just like a reference of like, oh, when I'm asking these interviews, like, tell me about a time when you're like, oh, I have this reference of all of the awesome things I did. Um, 
So that's the that's the brag document. But uh, I don't know if you're saying out there, Jacqueline. But I also want to hear your thoughts on the status part. I would say. Go, I mean, depending on what company you're at, you might have someone like a tech, you know, uh, uh, like a TDM, like a technical like manager or like, like you know, the person who keeps like whatever or like a consultant. Yeah, Jira. The, the Jira board Those people's whole jobs are communicating status and they're always sending emails. So like green light, yellow light, red light. We're concerned about this. And like, just like copy them, right? Like that's how, because like, I used to be really bad at that stuff. And then, but like when you, like at a certain point, you kind of have to start getting good at it because if you don't, keep people in the loop it becomes a real problem and like yeah it's just copying the people who are good and there's people whose whole jobs are doing these status messages um that is my recommendation on how to get better um because yeah like like let's learn from the people who do this for a living excellent thank you emily thank you jacqueline this has been a lot of fun seeing behind the scenes look at uh, the making of your podcast looking forward to hearing the live episode when it's recorded and uh out on the internet and um, thank you, everyone, for attending. Jacqueline and Emily, do you have any, any final comments or thoughts or anything? No, but we do have a closing speech we always do. So we should do that. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, but before that, I will add also because someone asked for um, some extra resources. See, Jacqueline, people want resources. <laughs> you tell them the book again. Um, you tell so them 10 Larry times Hulk. you buy that book. No, just kidding. Yes. People, there are other good resources. <laughs> no. So for specifically someone asked about uh, managing. So uh, Lara Hogan, who I referenced before, she has excellent, like, like someone actually tweeted, like, you know, basically if anyone asks me anything about management, I just look for if Lara Hogan's like written or spoken about and send them that. She's excellent. She's written a book, Resilient Management. She has a blog. Um, I think it's uh, Julie Zhao wrote Making of a Manager. That's also really good. Um, Camille Fournier wrote, um, Jacqueline, do you remember the title of her book? Like Technical Management. Um, but if you look up Camille Fournier, you'll find it. But those are kind of the three um, management books specifically. Uh, well, Making of a Manager is someone who's uh, in product, but still like technical-ish at, at Facebook. Okay, The Manager's Path. That's Camille's. Um and then other resources, if you go on my Twitter, Robinson underscore ES, you'll find a, a Twitter thread where I asked exactly that. Someone recommended uh, HBR um, has like a little booklet on um, managing your manager. I haven't read it, but HBR usually produces pretty good stuff. So might be worth checking out. Um, Jacqueline, any, anything else you wanted to add to that before we do the outro? Jacqueline's just so unhappy. I no, I just think it's funny when you write a book about book. career advice and then you go on Twitter and ask who has any books for career advice. And don't acknowledge that you yourself wrote one of those books. That's like that's like it's taking like a selfie and be like, does me. anyone like look pretty right now? Like, you know, come on, come on. I wasn't fishing for people to the book. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> With that, that's our show for this week. Uh, check us out on our next episode as we will discuss the epilogue, things that we've learned in this whole thing. Uh, so thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. And if you have questions or feedback, you can email us at podcast at bestbook.cool. Again, you can buy a copy of our book at bestbook.cool and use the code buildbook40%. That's 40% symbol for 40% off. Our theme song is by the extremely funny Matt Bouchelle, and thanks to our publisher Manning for helping our book exist. And thanks to you, Data Science DC, for hosting us. It's been very a lot of fun. Um, but with that, may your data not have too many factor levels to plot with colors.